Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank you. Amen. Well, you're so gracious. Praise the Lord. Why don't you just turn to a neighbor and just greet him as you're being seated. Praise the Lord. So very good to be with you again. Amen. Had a wonderful time in April when I was here. And I'm so glad that Pastor Gregory allowed me to come back. Uh, sometimes uh, good times like that are just too short. So uh, we have another uh, brief moment of time to just get into some things that I believe will be real helpful. I just do want to say that I, I really so support your pastors and uh, their vision. And I know you do too. That's why you're here. But um, this is just a small start of what's getting ready to happen for you. So... It's, it's real evident, but then when you talk to uh, uh, Pastor, uh, you know, behind closed doors and begin to really hear his heart, you really see where this ministry is going. So uh, I just want, to, want you to know from someone that travels around and sees a lot, you need to bu buckle your seatbelts and get ready for an amazing ride. Amen. I've never been one, you know, to, to ride roller coasters, and uh, when I... Married my wife uh, the first month we went down to San Antonio, down to a Six Flag. I tried my best uh, to ride that day. And the first ride she took me on was one where you go very fast and you loop the loop and then curly cue and then you curly cue backwards and loop the loop backwards, come back up. It's just pretty simple, right? So I did it and when I got done, uh, she looked at me, she said, That was awesome. Wasn't it good? And I was white, you know, very, very white, very, very white, okay? And I said, it will, it will, and I didn't throw up, but I had that motion in me. She said, you, you didn't just almost, I went like that to her. She said, you don't do rides? She said, why didn't you tell me that before we got married? <laughs> so uh, we have three daughters, and the four of them have a blast. And if you see some sorry-looking guy with about four purses next to him with headphones in, just sitting on a bench, just grooving, enjoying himself, that's me at, at the parks. Amen. My one little daughter, uh, now she's 5'10 and still growing, but um, she's the smallest one. She's a skinny little thing, and she more than quickly got to the place where she could ride than the others because she was tall. And uh, so she convinced me to go on Space Mountain in Europe, Disney. That's in Paris. And the Space Mountain over there is not like the Space Mountain over here. But I didn't know that. And so I went on that ride, and um, being as brave as I could, I was already white-knuckled as we're just going up. You know, you clink, 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 clink before you actually hit the ride. And she looks at me, and she pats me on the hand. She says, you can't, you can't hold on. I said, why can't I hold on? She said, she pats me and she said, you can't hold on. I said, why am I not going to hold on? She said, the ride is better when you put your hands up in the air. I said, well, why would I want to do that? She said, Daddy, you have to. If you're going to ride the ride with me, you have to let go. I said, I don't want to let go. I mean, I don't even want to be here. <laughs> she, again, that little face. You know how you do things for that little face, you know, and, that you normally wouldn't do? So I rolled the whole ride like this, screaming, you know, just like everybody else does. And I want, when I got done, i just be honest with you, it wasn't better. 
But I did learn something about letting go, and I believe with all my heart, this is what we're going to do this morning, that uplifted hands, what that means is, Father, look at, I'm not holding on to anything. It's just you and me. We're so used to doing this. I got one hand up here, Lord. The other hand's clutched as hard as we can. Get both of them up, and you let go of everything but God. This morning, it's really wonderful to be with you, and I'll just share a couple of thoughts here. Out of the book table, you'll see probably um, a piece of paper that shows that there's a radio show. Um, The radio show is very, very encouraging. There's nothing about it that's religious. Um, Actually, I do the radio show on Tuesday nights live at 9 o'clock Eastern time to about uh, 1045. Actually, in Central time, it's 8 to uh, about 945. Um, I do the radio show with a a co-host, and uh, he is a rancher, a cowboy, and very interesting. He came to some of my meetings and got saved and told me the reason why he came to the meetings. He wanted to learn how to heal horses the way I, I healed people. And uh, the first horse he laid hands on had a blind eye, uh, actually an eighth of an inch hole in its eye, and had bone spurs, arthritis, and he laid uh, hands on that horse, and uh, he didn't even say in the name of Jesus, because it's really not about the words, it's about the intent of the heart. He just said, now you're healed. God heals you. All of his friends cussed him out, laughed at him, he cussed them all back out, and told them (laughs) that the horse would be healed. And within two days' time, three days' time, the hole in the eye was completely covered back up. The horse could see. The bone spurs were gone. The arthritis was gone. And the teeth had brand new enamel on it. And that was the beginning of a pretty amazing journey with him where he saw a dead rabbit come back to life on purpose. He wanted to experiment with the anointing or with the grace of God. And he took a sapling tree. He broke it in half, went around the the pasture as he was mowing, came back, and the tree was perfectly straight again. Saw a cat raised back up to life. I mean, this is just within the first couple of weeks. Began to listen to the voice of God, tell him to go through a busy intersection up onto the highway. So he didn't even look. Looked at his dog and said, if we're going to get in, we need to get all the way in. And we certainly don't need to be cautious. And just floored it. His light was red. Didn't hit any cars. Went up on the highway. As soon as he got up on the highway, a biker went down, slid all the way across into the ditch. BJ followed him down there. His pant leg is full of blood. He's sitting up, you know, the best he can, sitting up and praying and saying, God, forgive me. BJ walks up and is, you know, very unreligious way and says, what in the world are you doing? He goes, well, I'm asking God to forgive me. He said, don't you think it's a little too late? <laughs> That'd be the kind of thing he'd say. Talk, engaged him in conversation for just a few minutes and looked at the guy. And the guy said, well, are you going to pray for me? He said, I don't even know you. Why would I pray for you? He said, you're not going to pray for me? While the paramedic got there and started cutting his pant leg up, when he opened it up, it was brand new baby skin, not even one scratch. The paramedic looked and said, I don't understand what all this red stuff is in your pant leg because your leg is perfectly fine. Maybe it's mortar oil. BJ looked at him and said, yeah, red mortar oil. Okay. He said, God likes ice cream. It's time for me to go get ice cream. Guy said, we'll ever see you again. He said, I hope not. I don't even know your name. And just walked away where God's able to use somebody. It was a pretty interesting fella. And then in a prayer meeting, and this is hard for some people to understand, but maybe we need to talk about some of these things. What's the possibility that over years and years and years of Christianity, it's even getting watered down more now until almost taking God out of salvation and removing the Holy Ghost from the baptism? 
I watch people get filled with the Holy Ghost now. It's nothing like what it used to be. People get filled with the Holy Ghost years ago. They'd actually be slain the Spirit, speaking in other tongues for two or three days and couldn't stop. The power of God come on them, and you wouldn't have to be coached into it. Come on, say it. That's it. That's right. Take it. No, that's not it. Let it be your own language. People tried to do that with me, and as a good Baptist, I said, uh-uh. If this is going to be my language, I'm not talking yours. And so I realized I didn't know how to yield at that point, but I was all by myself in a car going out to Syracuse University, and God came in my car, and immediately I began to speak in other tongues, and it wasn't anybody else's language. It was my own, and it was my own experience. And all of a sudden, something changed, and God spoke to me about a particular path in my life, and that's the reason why I'm, I'm where I'm at today, just because of that one experience. For a lot of people, getting saved is just being part of a church. In other words, signing their name to a register and becoming a part of a group. Well, this isn't a PTA. This isn't a group. These are people coming together. We are the church coming together. This is just a building. You can't call the the building the church. We are the church. And we're coming together to unite around one central thought, and that is Jesus Christ is our Lord. And we've got testimonies to prove it. So real quickly, I'll just say this in that that prayer meeting that we had, he just challenged God. He's real, real smart. Now, when I say real, real smart, smartest person I've ever met in my whole entire life. He aced his SATs, four earned PhDs, authored 17 books on horses in Barnes & Noble, reads 5,000 words per minute with 97% retention. That's pretty unfair, don't you think? As a nine-year-old, he read the Bible in four hours. And he figured it out. I ought to be with God or God ought to be here. It ought not to be just that we're going through the motions. I ought to be able to experience him. And in my prayer meeting, I saw him slump down in a seat. And I thought, my goodness, you fell asleep. Well, he didn't fall asleep. He just went home, started experiencing God. Maybe our spirit and God's spirit, maybe there's a greater connection than we've given ourselves credit for. And in a sense, it's not so much about trying to see something is as it is beginning to open your heart to experience God personally according to your own individual relationship on a much greater level than where we're at. Can you say amen to that? Well, some of these flash drives here that we've got out there, we've just got some real good deals on that. We've got one of them has got about 80. The, the black one here has got about 80 sermons on it for $30. This one here is that course that I was teaching when he came called Until I Come about all believers being able to do the works of Jesus. And this white one here is actually a continuation of the other. It's got about another 45 hours on it. Um, this MP3, I think we've got a few of them out there. This is an uh, MP3 of the same thing with uh, the Until I Come. And I wanted this up here because it's an intimacy series, something that Sid Roth did for us. And uh, I think there's six CDs in there about praying in other tongues, and it's just $5 out there. So anyhow, if you'd like to visit the table, just notice the uh, website, uh, The Abiding Presence, and uh, I believe you'd really enjoy our conversation. He does most of the talking, but I pay for it. So anyhow, let's move over here to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. I'm going to give you a real simplified version here this morning. And now remember this as we start. And I'll pray here in just a moment as I hear that either pages are, are uh, stopping uh, the turning or people are in their tablets have gotten there. But remember now, the Lord worked with the disciples as they preached the word, confirming it with signs, wonders following. 
So in other words, while we're ministering here this morning, we ought to be able to have people getting healed of every and anything that's in this room. Amen. From your migraine headaches to the pains and aches possibly in your body to any type of disease and illness. Now remember, the way that we perceive these illnesses, now I understand. Listen, I've, been, I've had a perforated bowel uh, uh, twice in my life years ago before I understood some of this. First time I got healed, I didn't have any insurance. I had to get healed. I had to get healed or die. And I decided my wife was too pretty to let somebody else have her. <laughs> That's a good motivation. And then I'm not going to trust somebody else to love my daughters like I would love them. So I told my wife, I'll be well. I'll be fine. It took me three weeks to get over all of my doctrine. I was trying to read more, to have more, to get more faith. I was trying to call people to make sure I was in love. All these performance things that we do to try to prove to God that we're worthy of His healing. Well, He didn't need us to prove anything. He did it while we were unworthy. Amen? And that doesn't mean you don't walk in love, and that doesn't mean you don't read the Bible. That doesn't mean you don't have Scriptures that validate the reason why we know we have a right to what God has given us through Christ. That's all fine and good. But when it comes right down to it, it's really about whether or not what you say is what you do. In other words, are you involved in what you believe? People say all the time, well, I'm believing. Well, no, you're probably not. Well, why would you say that? Because there's no evidence of anything. Are you back to work? Well, I, I, I can't go to work because why not? I thought you said you're healed. See, there's always a point of contention when you believe God. And when you cross that point of contention where you put your flesh under and you decide it is as God says it is, and I'm going to put myself in a position where the only way it can be is what God says it's going to be. That's when you get involved with your life then. In other words, you move on. And I did that, and I found healing. It took me three weeks, though, to get over all my doctrine. My body went down to about, from where it is right now, 175 pounds, down to about 135 pounds. And within three days, I gained back, well, close to 25 it's amazing what happens when your body starts to work as it should, right? So I understand what it's like when pain is screaming at you. But how well you value the pain or your physical body versus how well you value Christ and your spiritual connection has everything to do with what your body does. Your body was never meant to lead. Your body is a follower. It always follows who you are. Amen? So we want to talk about that connection this morning. The things that I'm going to say are really going to seem too simple. So if there's anything you're going to say as well, it can't be that simple. So Hebrews chapter 11, let's get into a few scriptures here just to validate our point. It says here, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things that are visible. So let's just uh, agree on this point right here that what God made. Now God didn't make this building. God didn't make the concrete. God didn't make the city streets. God didn't make your automobiles. God did make the trees. God did make the mountains. God did make the streams. God did make the ponds and the rivers and the oceans. Do you agree with that? God did make the birds and the animals and the fish, right? In other words, God didn't make what man made. And man made what man made because he was what? Separated from God, trying to find something that would satisfy his soul. And the only thing that will satisfy the human soul is Jesus. Amen? 
not the form of some religion that leaves the heart or the condition of the spiritual soul in darkness, but Christ and Christ alone. Amen. So when it's talking here about the things that were made, and they weren't made by the things that are visible, we're talking about the fact that God has invested Himself in everything that He has made. I'm going to talk about a connection here this morning, the next 15 minutes, and it's going to seem way too simple, but I really want you to get a hold of this. Let's go, if you don't mind, to Romans in chapter 1. You'll see it open up just a little bit more, this particular thought. It said in verse 18, and this is the Message Bible, but God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over truth. But the basic reality of God is plain enough. Open your eyes, and there it is. By taking a long and thoughtful look at what God has created, people have always been able to see what their eyes as such can't see. Eternal power, for instance, and the mystery of His divine being. So no one has a good excuse. Isn't that good? In other words, stop long enough to look at what God has created, and by doing so, you can see and you can know that there's something beyond what you see. And you come to the reality, somebody made this. It just didn't happen. You've got to really overwork your brain cells to believe in evolution. And yet there's an evolutionary process that's on the earth in a minor way, but evolution is really, really a far-stretched idea. So much easier to look at the grandeur of even a sinful world touched by man's sin, not even in its perfect state, and literally go out into the woods, go to a solitary place, look at a stream, be by a river, be by some type of a pond or lake or ocean, seeing the waves crashing in on the sandy beach, sit there in a moment where you see the sun coming up in the morning, you see the sun going down at night, see some type of an animal do something or a hawk coming down and swooping down and you see the glory of it and you just can't help but saying, God, you're awesome. How come we can say that? How come people that aren't even saved can say that? Because God put an essence of Himself in every single thing He made. This is going to be way too simple, but come on, let's just go and just find some other thought here. Okay, this is now coming over to Job. And I'm not going to read it all, but go to Job 38, and I'll just give you a taste of what you could get if you went from Job 38, 39, 40, and 41. You know, about at this particular point in the, in the story with Job, Job and his friends have been, well, really more his friends, have been philosophizing about why Job is in the condition or situation that he's in. Job's been buying into a little bit of it, but ne- not necessarily entering into the, uh, the conversation as much as his friends. God's pretty much had it with this conversation. So I like the original version, even though I'm going to read from the Message Bible. I like the original version, like the New King James or the King James, where God says to Job, He says, He comes in a whirlwind. Now, see, coming from Oklahoma, we know what a whirlwind's like, tornadoes. Okay? In other words, when a tornado is actually coming down the street, you don't go outside and say, oh, I just want to have a hug, you know? No. <laughs> you look for cover, right? Okay, so God comes in a tornado, a whirlwind, and He says, prepare yourself like a man. Well, when I grew up, if you said something like that, that meant, do, that meant what? That meant if someone said, prepare yourself like a man, you did this. Because you're going to fight. Those are fighting words. Prepare yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you questions, and you're going to answer me. 
Think, you, think Job had the hair on the back of his neck stick up just a little bit? Now listen to what God says to do what? To end the foolishness of his philosophy. And it says, and now finally God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowledge or knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together. In other words, prepare yourself like a man. Job, up on your feet. Stand tall. I have some questions for you, and I want some straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you know that. Look at the sarcasm in that. Who came up with the blueprints and measurements? How was its foundation poured, and who set the cornerstone? While the morning stars sang in chorus, and all the angels shouted praise. And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, and a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose. And I said, stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you ever ordered the morning? Get up and told Dawn, get to work so you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches. As the sun brings forth light, brings out all the colors and shapes and colors the darkness and snatches from the wicked. They are caught in the very act. Listen to this. Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things, explored the Leviathan caves of the deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding dark's death mysteries? And do you have any idea how large the earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. Would you speak? And this goes on and on and on. I love this. Have you ever traveled to where snow is made and seen the vault of which hail is stockpiled? The arsenal of hail and snow that I keep in readiness for times of trouble and battle and war? Look at what God's doing. He's validating who He is by what man can see. God has never tried to make Himself be obsolete or obscure. He's never tried to hide. God's game is not hide and go seek. If it was, there's billions of galaxies with even more billions of stars, and God could hide behind any one of them, and we would never find Him. Do you agree? If God ever made a game, it would be what? Show and tell. He loves to show up, and in awe and wonder, we say, this is amazing. Stay right there, and you run, and you get somebody, and you bring them back. Do you remember what it was like with the woman at the well? She met Jesus, and she couldn't stand it just for herself. She stay right here. And she ran and told all of her friends. She said, you got to come and see the man that has told me all things that I've ever known. This must be the Christ. And remember, they all came out. The whole town came out, and they began to inter- interact with Jesus. And it didn't take long for them to say, we know for ourselves, not because of her, but for ourselves. We've seen it, and we've heard it ourselves. This is the Christ. Mm, that's God. He's not making anything different, difficult. And if anything is difficult, if we have a hard time seeing Him, we really need to step, step back for a second and just ask ourselves questions. If God is everywhere and we don't see Him, then what are we looking at? If God's voice is available for everybody but we don't hear it, then what are you hearing? A central truth. When God made all of us, He made us to be connected. So you are hearing something, you are feeling something, you are looking at something, 
you are experiencing something. Now, let me ask you a simple question. When did Adam and Eve know they had a body? After they sinned. What does that tell you? They weren't so, how do you want to say? They weren't so aware of their body that they were experiencing their body, even though their body was fulfilling its purpose. They were aware of God. This whole flesh world and all about the flesh is a result of Adam's sin. Come on, God didn't have to-do lists. There was nothing to do but just hang out with Him. The to-do list started with Adam. Adam, by the way, tonight you're not going to like it. Why am I not going to like it? Well, you can't stay here. Why can't I stay here? Well, because you messed up. I know, Lord, but I mean, you can't, like, kick me out. Yeah, I can. There's a tree here I don't want you to eat from. I'll never eat from it. (laughs) Well, that's the last thing you told me about the other one. (laughs) I got to get you out of here. Well, I don't know that I want to go. Well, you don't really have a choice. The Bible says God drove him out, which means he probably had, you know, four sets of, you know, for each foot, Adam and Eve were kind of saying, no, no, and God's driving him out of the garden. What are we going to do out here? Well, that's kind of up to you. What do you mean? What are we going to eat? Again, that's kind of up to you. Well, what do you mean about that? Well, you got to cook tonight. Well, we don't know how to cook. Well, I know, but you're going to have to figure it out. Where are we going to get the food? Can we bring some? You can't bring food from the garden. Where are we going to get it? Well, you're going to have to grow it. How are we going to grow it? you got a lot of things to figure out, don't you, Joe? Or don't you, Adam? And in the process, you're going to sweat. What's sweat? Well, you'll know it when you do. And you're probably going to hurt or be painful after you've worked. Well, what's that? Well, when you feel it, you're going to wish you didn't. And on and on and on the conversation went where what? Now Adam has to fend for himself, and this is the world we all live in. And this is the world we fight for every single day. And we try to be smart about fighting in this world. So the early bird gets to, see, see, we've been taught those things. Be smarter about how you make your decisions and your choices so you can get ahead in this world. Well, it's not about getting ahead in this world by the world system. It's getting ahead with God that changes the world system. See, this is the reason why we're going to go to a scripture over here in Matthew and chapter 6, if you turn there right now. Matthew chapter 6. What I'm trying to show you with these thoughts right here is that you will be connected at all times to something. So in a sense, you could say about yourself, you are good at connecting. We just need to get you connected to God. And the only reason why it seems like it's easy to connect with the world is because it seems like in the world there's a propensity of evil. In other words, negativity seems to be very strong in people's hearts. It's very easy to do wrong. You have to make a concentrated effort to do what? Right. And that's because that's how we think. That's not who you are. That's how we've been trained to think. We've bought into this world system to the point where we actually think it's the only way to do life. The way people do life today, the generality of how people do life is a grave distortion from what God actually created it to be. This is the reason why we hold on with one hand and we lift only one hand to heaven because we want to do both, but you can't do both. That's one thing you learn right away. You can't multitask in the Spirit. You're either in or you're out. Now, for most of us, you know what we've learned to do? And I'm actually a professional at this, and I'm learning to undo this. We've learned to turn the switch on when it's time to turn the switch on. 
When we turn the switch off, when it's time to turn the switch off. I gave a story yesterday of an individual just this week. I was up in Connecticut, and this lady instantly got her tendonitis completely healed. She felt the power of God come on her, on her arm, and instantly it, it disappeared. Now, we're all milling around like we do in fellowship at the church. People, some people left right away. Others just sitting there talking, and, and we're all kind of talking. And I'm on my way out of the building or to the back of the auditorium, and, and on that way, she's coming this way. And I didn't really see her until she got really close to me, and I looked at her. She was one of the girls, the ladies that did the praise and worship. So I said, hey, I appreciate what you do. Like this, shook my hand. She said, I, I got healed tonight. I said, isn't that wonderful? What did you get healed from? She said, tendonitis. She said, but the strangest thing is, while I've been walking toward the door, all that pain's coming back in my, my elbow. I said, you want to know why? She said, why? I said, because you're getting ready to switch from the place where you got your healing to go back to the world that you know. See, when you walk out that door, the switch is off because that's my life. In other words, out there is where you expect things like that to come. In here is where you expect things like that to go. I say, why wouldn't you take this out there? And while I'm talking to her, she goes, oh, my goodness. I said, what? She goes, my elbow is tingling. All that pain is disappearing. I said, isn't that interesting? I said, let's just wait and see how long it takes to go. She said, it just left. I said, do you think you'll take what's in here out there? In other words, don't turn the switch off. Isn't that an interesting story? What does that tell us? about how we view life. If we're real keyed into what? What we are when we're here, but then when we leave the door, we actually leave what we are in here. In other words, the way that we're all in tune. See, the preacher does it even, even that much more. We're really, our antennas are really up to do what? To flow with the Holy Ghost, to move with the Spirit, and preach something by an unction. And then when you get done, whew. well, no, I don't have to keep that same intensity when I'm somewhere else. But you stay connected. Why would you disconnect? And we ask ourselves that question, and yet I can just honestly tell you, I'm, I'm really good at disconnecting. And that doesn't mean, you know, when I'm out of here, I turn into a serial killer. No one's just caught me yet. I'm, I'm talking about I disconnect just in my mind. And the moment that you disconnect in your mind, isn't it interesting? She just is going to the car on her way out the building. And just that thought of now entering back into the world that she's accustomed to, that power starts to wane in that elbow and she starts to feel the pain. Can it be that simple? It really can be. Let me share something with you as you're over in Matthew in chapter 6. And we're going to start right here in verse 25. You know, when God spoke to Abraham to help him to, to connect, when he needed to know how to believe God, you know what God told him to do? Go outside and look at the stars and see if you can number them, so shall your descendants be. Do you remember that? Now, did God give him something that was difficult? The square root of the hypothesis, you know what I mean? No, no. No, no. God wanted to meet him where he was with something that he was already, what, aware of to take something that was of this world to connect him to something that was of that world. So he let him look at the stars. And as soon as he looked at the stars, because he was a moon worshiper, so what do you see when you worship the moon? The stars. It was kind of a given. When God said that to him, he already knows what he's going to do. He's going to look at the stars and say, okay, God, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, I, I'm okay. I got it. I believe. And God put it on his credit as righteousness. Remember that? 
Remember Moses? He struggled with Moses, you know. What does he tell Moses? Hey, what's in your hand? Well, I mean, just this old piece of wood, this staff. He goes, yeah, throw it down. <laughs> Turns into a snake. What's the next sign that he gave him? Take your hand, put it into your vest. He did it. He didn't know what to think. He said, now pull it out. <sighs> it's leprous, white as snow. He says, put it back in. He put it back in and came out and was like, woo, glory. You know, pull the rabbit out of the hat. And God says, use one of these two signs. What's God doing? He's connecting him to the spiritual by something that's in this earthly world. How did he connect Peter? Hey, Peter, go fishing. It's not the time for fishing, Lord. You're a carpenter. No disrespect, but the sun's already up. We've been out all night long. We've caught nothing. Put your nets in. And all the fish jumped into the net. Huh? What did it do? I mean, Peter jumps out of the boat, runs to the Lord, and says, I'm not even worthy. Why? Because it connected him to God. Okay. Look at these scriptures right now, and I'm going to read the Message Bible because it really comes in in a really good way right here. It says, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a huge thing, you know, in my house. You know, my wife is a professional shopper, and she taught my daughters. That's why I cut firewood on the side with my rancher friend. For $10 an hour cash. Why? Need a little extra money, you know what I mean? You can't just buy a shirt anymore. A shirt doesn't cut it. you got to have three shirts, and two of them don't even look like a shirt because you can see through it. You know what I'm talking about, the layering thing? One's real long, one's real short, one's real... There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more than the outer appearance and your clothes you hang on your body. Now, look at what he's getting ready to do. He's going to help to connect you because he's talking to people that are eat up with what's called the way of the Gentile. The way of the Gentile is very simply Adam's bad choice. They put everybody outside the garden where you fend for yourself because in the garden, that's where God is supreme and he does the biggest part of the work, you do the smallest part. And that's the life that Jesus came to show us was still possible while on planet Earth. That's why Jesus lived in a way that just wasn't the same as what everybody else lived. That's the reason why the things that Jesus did got the attention of everybody else. Why? Because he didn't do it like everybody else did. He took, took a little boy's lunch. Can you imagine that little boy with his eyes just looking and seeing Jesus continue to pull out more bread out of that? He thinks, Mama really put a lot in there. Holy smokes. Right? He feeds a whole multitude with 12 baskets left over. Who does that kind of stuff? Somebody that's connected to God. So notice what he says. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description. Careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. What's he trying to say? saying you're so busy you don't even notice the little things, the little things that are around you, all around you, all the time. You take them for granted and don't recognize that there's an essence of God in all of them. If you slowed down enough to take a look at the birds, what would you find? God. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe it. He's trying to make me be like a bird watcher. (laughs) I'm not trying to make you be anything. I'm just giving you something that's super, super simple that everybody can do, and we miss it. 
Because it's all simple. Why do you think Jesus said it only takes a speck to get rid of a mountain? Because when God's involved in your life, there are no mountains. A mountain is only a mountain because you believe it's a mountain. If Jesus took all sickness and He took all disease, how is there any left for us to actually have unless we believe that it's still here? And we hear a report that the fall is coming and the flu season is coming, and we make preparations to guard our bodies against the flu, which is just a sure sign that you actually believe that it's actually real. And if we live our life based on the flesh and how it connects to the world and not the spirit and how it connects to God, you look around and you see all kinds of friends that are starting to sniffle and starting to cough and starting to, you know, call in sick, and you come to the conclusion, which would be accurate according to your physical eyes, but remember, things got distorted. Life isn't what it's supposed to be. If we were all still in the garden, would there be any flu? Would there even be a name called Jehovah Rapha? God wouldn't have had to reveal that He's the Lord that heals because there'd be nobody sick. We'd still only have one revelation, which is, I am the Lord that covenants with you that I will always reveal myself to you as the one true and only God, Jehovah Elohim. That's the only revelation Adam and Eve had. And if they'd have stuck by that revelation, when the devil came and began to give them alternative views and options, they would have put him in his place. So we have what we have as far as the revelation of God because man went south. A different direction. God's trying to get us all to slow down. And you know what's like in the busy world, how many people meet themselves coming and going on a regular basis. Sometimes you go to sit down and you don't even feel comfortable sitting down because you know if you sit down too long, you'll stay down and you've got too much to do. Come on, we're all laughing because this is the world that we've been tricked into believing that this is the only way you do life. And I'm telling you, when you connect with God, things begin to, well, let's just go a little bit further. And he went on to say, has anyone by fussing in front of a mirror even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, and do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They neither primp or shop, but have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The ten best-dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. Now let's go on further. It says, if God gives attention to the appearance of wildflowers, most of which are never seen, don't you think He'll attend to you, take pride in you, and do His best for you? What I'm trying to get you to do here is to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how He works. So steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't, get, don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. And the last verse says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you to deal with with whatever hard things come at the time. Last observations. I know I've given you a lot, and um, I wish I had more time to go in it, but, but we can do this. The more you begin to just step back and look anywhere or everywhere for signs of God's grace and the work of the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to find Him. If you don't open your heart to look, you won't find. He said, seek me, you'll find me. He said, knock, the door will be open. He said, ask, and you receive. didn't say ask, and sometimes you get it. Seek, sometimes. He said, it's very absolute. Ask, receive, seek, find, knock, the door is open. It's just how you look. 
It's how you ask. It's how you seek. If I were to say, this afternoon, why don't you look for the grace of God like you'd look for your wallet if you lost it? (laughs) Honey, (laughs) how about if you go outside the door and you go to your back pocket and your phone's not there? My phone. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I got to hit my phone. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? And you want to call your wife to ask her where the phone is, but you don't have your phone. If you were going to look for God like that, don't you think you'd find Him everywhere? He is everywhere. Where would you start to look if you weren't connected to see Him in other places? I'd start right here where Jesus started. He's given this as a prescription to those who are so busy and so caught up in the way of life, doing, doing, doing. He wants to get them to do what? Step back so that they can receive, receive, receive. How does He do it? Something so simple as looking at the birds, looking at the wildflowers. Come on, you go by a lake, you go by in a park, and you just sit there, and all of a sudden there's a calm that comes over you. And you realize that that calm that comes over you, as you look at something that you can see the essence of God, you realize there's nothing different about that than someone getting out of a wheelchair. Seeing a sunset at night is easier to see that sunset. Or I'll say it this way. Seeing a sunset at night, I've got to flip this around. It's easier to have a cancer disappear than it is actually looking at the sunset. There was more time and more effort in that sunset than there is in getting rid of a cancer that's already been defeated. Now, do you see what I mean by we make our own mountains? Well, you've never had cancer. You, know, you, you should see what, no, 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 no. You've got so much value in that cancer because of the pain and because of what you studied and because of what you've been told by those doctors. Thank God for doctors helping people that don't have the opportunity to hear what we're hearing. It's a balanced scale of life. Your choices are always on a balanced scale. Choose the world and the flesh, you get less of God and the Spirit. Choose God and the Spirit, you don't need the world and the flesh. To be absent from the body is to be... What is he saying? But to do what? To be absent-minded from the body, not to put any tension, not to put any care, not to put any thought to your body. Well, if I'm not taking care of my body. No, I'm not talking that way. I'm saying the body doesn't need the attention that we give it. You need to connect, put your connection into God first, and the, and the Spirit of God begins to work through your body. Now, cutting this short with the few minutes that I have. As you begin to work this, the interesting thing is, When you acknowledge God in one area, all of a sudden it opens the door for others. It's the most interesting thing, and it never stops unless you want it to stop. You acknowledge God in one area and say, Lord, that's awesome. Look at that sunset. That's beautiful. And you know what God says to you? If you really like that, I'll show you more. I want to see more. And all of a sudden the next day, you see more. All of a sudden, the coincidence is no longer a coincidence. It's God working on your behalf. All of a sudden, I was really lucky there. Isn't I was really lucky there? That's God working on your behalf. See, if you were in a hardware store and you were looking at nails, and a package of nails actually is a little bit heavy, you know, if you, if you think about it. And if you drop that and it almost hits your toe, you just think, well, I'm glad it didn't hit my toe, and you go ahead and pick that box of nails up. What if somebody came by and said, you know, that's grace? What's grace? Well, that's God's grace right there. It could have dropped on your toe. What? We overlook constantly 
that God's with us at all times, wanting to help us at all times. And if we'll listen and pay attention to the smallest, how come we're not paying attention? Because we're paying attention to something else. We're busy. Our mind's going. We're talking on the phone while we're doing stuff. We're texting somebody when we're see, we could be seeing God two, three, four times within seconds. And what I'm finding is the more I've begun to do this, the more prayers are getting answered instantaneously. And here's where it gets really cool. Now my thoughts are being answered before I pray a prayer. Can't tell you how many times, and it just starts happening on, on a regular basis. You mean just from doing this? I know, I know. I mean, I, you feel like you need to have calluses on your knees from praying 15 hours a day. Just from doing this, what if it could be that simple? That to want to connect with Him in the smallest of things, if the little foxes spoil the vine, don't you know that it's the little tiny things that you see of God and you begin to acknowledge and become thankful over that causes you to become connected, that repairs the vine? Do you know how fun it is now? I'm living life fun. You wake up and you think, this is going to be a riot. I wonder how many times I can experience God today. And you start seeing Him in the smallest of things. The next thing you know, you have those coincidences. You have those lucky moments. You begin to experience things. All of a sudden, it's interesting. You had pain in your body, but you're not paying attention to your body anymore. You're just enjoying the connections that you have with Christ. And then you go about two or three days and realize, I haven't been hurting for two or three days. I wonder where that pain went. And then you can't find that lump. It's like a guy that ended up having a big, huge egg, you know, down in his, in his area down here. And he said he woke up that morning. He said, a, a huge alarm. But he's learned. He's learned. If I give value to that, I take value away from the fact that Jesus took my infirmity and bore my sickness. He said, I give absolutely no value to this. And like blinders, he said, I went on my day knowing that, thank God, grace is everywhere. And if I can see it there, and I can see it there, and I can see it there, and I can see it there. He said, within a two-day period of time, he doesn't know when it left. It just disappeared. What if it meant better jobs? What if it meant increase on your job? What if it meant better relations? What if it meant you were just so happy everybody wanted to be around you because you're no longer a crank? <laughs> Come on, that goes for me too. I can get so intense all of a sudden, leave daddy alone. It's not because I'm, I, it's just because I'm thinking. Well, stop thinking so hard and enjoy. Enjoy. Lift your hands for a moment. Father, I ask you, please, Lord, take what I've said and somehow weave it into the fiber of everyone's consciousness. I know these people have tremendous, wonderful hearts. I know they love you. Let them find you so often, so regularly, that this place fills up with nothing but testimonies, seas of testimonies, of healings, and the joy of having a thought answered and the joy of instantaneous prayers answered and the joy of no longer having care and concern and worry and the joy of being able to pull back and experience you. People will come here refreshed instead of full of anxiety. They'll come here in peace instead of turmoil. They'll come here healed. God, I ask you, weave this into their heart and into their consciousness. You are everywhere and at all times there for us to experience and enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord.
been wonderful being with you this morning. I know how the services are set up. I have to go, but uh, would you try it out? Is it worth trying? At the worst, you'd end up seeing a beautiful sunrise or sunset that you hadn't seen in a while. You might actually see some colors you didn't see because you stopped long enough to look. What if you found God? Praise God. Let's just stay in that attitude right now of worship. Matter of fact, let's just all stand to our feet.